At this time, I would like to invite Brian Jerry to come forward. Brian will be preaching this morning, and so we praise God for the way he's brought us to this body here at Church on Mill and his many giftings, one of which is teaching. And so if you wouldn't mind just joining me in prayer as we um, pray for the Lord to use Brian to hear his word. Lord, we are so grateful for Brian, Lord, for your faithfulness in his life, Lord, for your undeniable work and transformation, Lord. And Lord, all of that brings you glory, Lord. And so, Lord, as we seek to hear from you and from your word, I pray that you would use Brian, Lord, that your power would speak through him and that our hearts would be captured and transformed by the poignancy of your truth, Lord. We praise you for this moment. May we hear from you, and may we also respond, Lord. So give us the insight and discernment to know specifically how to apply this truth in our lives and how to bring your gospel to those who are in need of it, Lord, including ourselves. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Really? Is it a good morning? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I hope you've had a good week. I've had a very interesting week and a, man, a fabulous weekend. My family is in town, or I guess rather my uh, uh, parents are in town, because I guess my family is my wife and my kids, and they're always in town. So, uh, uh, as we would say back in Tennessee, my folks are here. So, uh, so glad to have them. It's my daughter's birthday this weekend, and so we had a great uh, celebration yesterday. But, so it's been a fun weekend, but it's been interesting. Uh, but before I say that, let me say this. Every time I preach, uh, Chuck is gone. So I'm starting to be offended. I mean, seriously. I don't know if he just can't deal with me, doesn't want to listen. I don't know. But anyway, so that goes on record, Chuck. I don't understand. So that way he can clearly uh, listen to that later. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, so I, we wake up this morning at our house, and my in-laws have uh, this really beautiful kind of travel trailer camper that sits in our uh, driveway, and so my parents are crashing in there, because they can only deal with us, you know, that much, and so I was like, yeah, you can sleep out there. So we go this morning, and somebody egged the camper. I know, right? Like, come on, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking, God is love, and we're talking about love this morning, so I felt like the loving thing to do would be pray for the person, so I prayed that they dislocated their shoulder when they threw. <laughs> That, I mean, that feels right, right? I, God is love, and I think, no, I guess not, maybe. Um, anyway, so here I am early in the morning, scrubbing it off, like, oh, I don't want it to feel faint. My mother-in-law will kill me, so, you know. Um, but anyway, it's been super interesting. We've had a fabulous weekend in, in, in prep time, and oftentimes, uh, for those of us that have the privilege and the honor uh, to stand here, which is really scary, um, and it's overwhelming, um, but it's so fun uh, getting ready for this moment. Uh, a couple of things usually happen. You get really beat up, <laughs> and God convicts you, and then you say, hey, now it's your turn. Um, and then there's other times when you're deeply encouraged. You're reminded of great truths of who God is. And uh, I, I felt a lot of that this week. Um, and man, I, I'm kind of tired today. So I don't know if you are, uh, but, but man, I, I, no, I know uh, that what we're talking about is refreshing. Um, and I pray that it would be like a, 
a cool breeze to be poetic um, and, and be refreshing for you this morning. So as we dive in, uh, I know Hensley prayed and he did a fabulous job, but um, maybe more for me than you. Uh, let's pray again <laughs> and just set our hearts to that aim this morning. Um, Father God, you are great. Uh, you are beautiful. Uh, you are holy. Uh, you are loving. Uh, you are a lot of things. And so this morning we ask that all those things would come together uh, in the face of Christ, uh, in our gathering together, in the preaching of your word, uh, through conviction, encouragement, uh, through comfort, whatever, it, whatever you see fit to do in this moment, uh, Lord, that all that we know about you w- would just overwhelm us today. And so I ask that you would move me out of the way, Lord, that you would speak clearly. Your text would be powerful as it is. Isaiah says it would not return void, so we pray for that, we long for that. And, and quite frankly, we bank on that this morning, Lord, <laughs> that your words are, are sharp. Your words are perfect. Your words are what we need. Uh, we don't necessarily need a sermon this morning, Father. What we need is to hear from you, and we ask that you would speak. Uh, so I love you, and I thank you for this opportunity. See your name and pray. Amen. The great preacher from England by the name of Charles Spurgeon opened a Sunday morning service with these words. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of deity. He goes on to say, I know nothing, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. And this is exactly what we have been doing this entire summer. We have been gazing our eyes upward and in doing so, stretching our minds and healing our souls. You see, God is the great answer to all our ills. And to that same aim we come this morning. We have no other purpose when we gather in this room other than to look towards God. To be overwhelmed with his greatness. To be comforted by his love. And and at times to be convicted about the way we live our lives. And might I add this morning, our subject in particular, I believe it will strike a chord with us all. I mean, God is love. Love. How many songs are in your head right now, right? Love. The topic of many great stories. The subject of beautiful poetry, if you ever read that stuff. But it's there. And the lyrics to sweet music. We desire to be loved. In this room sits my family, my in-laws, my co-workers, and, and friends. So I am super mindful of the power and the effects of love in our life. Because all those groups of people that are represented in this room have changed me. They have loved me in a way that has done a work in me. 
each have shown me, and as we're going to discuss today, a godlike love. And it has changed me. Tina Turner in the mid-80s posed the question. You know what it is? What's love got to do? No, is that right? So I that? Got to do with it. Who needs a hard one? No, anyway, yeah, that's enough, right? Sorry. I thought it was pretty good. I'll, I'll, I'm available next week. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I am available. Anyway, um, but in the mid-80s, this song just hit the airways, and what's love got to do with it, right? And now, of course, she was trying to not make a commitment to a person she's interested in and try to diminish love. Well, love is not a second-hand emotion. It bears significant weight in our lives. Just ask someone who's never felt loved. Ask them what love's got to do with it. Or ask someone who is in love. Ask them what they would do for that love. And you'll find that love has everything to do with it. In college, uh, we had this opportunity, or we had this kind of ministry thing in college to where you could lead a small group of incoming freshmen to help them get acclimated into life. Uh, we weren't really a big town, but it was still kind of scary, right? So we call these things life groups, and so I had the privilege of doing those for a couple years in a row. It was a ton of fun, and so me and my, my co-kind of leader, we had our group, and we, we sat down and we began to discuss 1 Timothy 4.12. We're discussing this text, we're talking about it, and one of the, the freshmen that we were dealing with had brought his brother. He wasn't attending there, just kind of hanging out, and he came along to our group, didn't really know about this whole Jesus thing or anything like that. So we're talking about this text, and it gets to uh, love. You know, set an example for the believer, and, and one of the things was love. And all of a sudden, we just camped out on love. And we begin to discuss, what, is it, what does love look like? How has particularly God shown us love? And it went from this person to this person to this person. And me and the co- uh, co-leader, we're just kind of sitting back watching this thing go down. I mean, and I'm being deeply encouraged by what's being said, and, and things are happening, and people are talking, and we're like, man, love is overwhelming. And, and towards the end of our conversation, because we got no farther than love, and, and God just kind of showed up. And in the back sits that young man's brother. He's weeping. And this is a guy that's kind of tough as nails kind of guy. He's weeping. So the brother, who's a part of our group, turns around, he's like, what do Something's happening, you know. Like, what, what the words go? So we sit down with this guy, like, hey, clearly something's happening. Uh, anything we can help you with? And through tears, he says, I have never felt so loved and encouraged in this moment. I never knew that God could love me in such a way. I never knew that that type of love existed. And through those moments, God worked in his heart. And in that moment, he repented and turned to the Lord. This conversation of love so impacted him that it it opened his eyes to see God, to see his love in the fullest sense, not some weak definition of love, but a real love. And it changed. We were so floored by that moment as if, oh, I can't believe God did that. God can do that all the time. But we were so taken back. And it was around this conversation of love. And that moment is so etched into my mind that I think about it often. 
And I wonder and I'm praying that that same conversation as we look at love today would stir you in that way. As we talk about God's love, that it would begin to do something in us. 1 John 4 is going to be our text this morning. And if you have your Bibles, absolutely encourage you to turn there. If not, we hey, we got it right there. And so the scriptures talk repeatedly, and they call God love. And so what we see at the clearest is in 1 John, chapter 4, verses 8 and 16. I just want you to see this description. I want you to just see this phrase and know that I'm not making it up. I'm not just saying that it's all cool and love and great. It's there. It's in the text. And so here's what we see. Verse 8 of chapter 4, John writes this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now, that's... That's huge, and that's a whole other sermon, but, and, and I'm not trying to just breeze by that, but I want you to see, he grounds that statement in this statement. And this is what we're going to key in on, day, on today. It says, because God is love. If you go down to verse 16, and um, that's something I paid a lot of money to go to seminary with, is to put a B at the end of a, a tra- thing, and that means the second half of the verse. Eh, all right, so I find that funny. You don't. So, all right. Um, <laughs> so the second half of John four sixteen says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So here we have this, this statement about who God is. God is love. But let me draw your attention to something. Notice it does not say love is God. Okay? God is love. It doesn't say that God, or it does say God is love. It doesn't say that love is God. The statement was not intended to be kind of an equal statement. It's not an A equals B. See, God is the subject here. He's the beginning point, and love is a description of him. Love is kind of this qualitative statement about the nature of God. God is the subject. Love flows from God. God doesn't not flow from love. This is the trouble that we face as we discuss this topic, right? We desire it so much that we're, we will have a tendency to exalt our ideal of whatever we think love is, and we turn that definition into love, into God. But see, John doesn't want you to make that mistake. He says, no, the starting point is God. He makes it very clear in the way that he writes this text that God is love. And they never would have read it the other way. But I'm afraid we often read it the other way. See, there's a massive difference in God is love and love is God, isn't there? When John penned this statement, he grounded God as the starting point. And this conversation about love, which I assume in their day was just as powerful as it is for us today, he wanted to be sure that the readers of this text would make no mistake, but when you approach the topic of love, you have to start with God. You have to. Because God is love. I mean, you have to, right? Or else you'll always arrive at a wrong understanding of love. See, if you put love above God, now you've got to get this definition of love. Where are you going to get that from? Is that correct? Is that right? So if you have this kind of weird view of what love is, and you make that thing God, then it becomes the most important thing about you, but yet it's the wrong thing. 
And then you start to be passionate about something that you probably should not be passionate about. You see, God is the starting point. You know why? Because God, newsflash, he invented love. He's the creator of it. We would not know that love existed if God did not exist. He invented it, and John wants that to be clear. It is a part of who he is. And we would do well to look at him, to know, and not only to know, but to see love. This is where this topic gets so tricky because we want it so bad. And we exalt this ideal of love, and if it's not an extinction of who God is, it will lead us to unhealthy places. And John grounds and it says, no, no, no. We start with God. Because of the way this statement is constructed in the text here, God is love, as a great theologian uh, Packard says, God is love means that his love finds expression in everything he says and does. Because this is part of, part of his nature, it's almost a little bit deeper than just simply an attribute or the way he acts. It's part of who he is. It's part of his nature. So if God is love, then that love will always find its expression in everything he says and does. God's love is not diminished by him being holy. God's uh, discipline is driven by love because his nature is to be loving. And this has never become more true than as a parent. You know, my <laughs> this hurts me more than you. How is that possible? Because I'm hurting. I can't do anything right now. I got to be locked in my room. You know, whatever. And they didn't lock me in my room. That's okay. But, but there's never more true, right? Because parents exercise this love, and sometimes it's done in discipline, right? God's love is not less when His wrath is necessary. Love should and is in seen in all the other attributes of God. The implications are staggering when we move from a shallow view to a full view of God. And, and John is constructing this ideal of love to, to make it as part of his nature, so therefore we find it in all the expressions of the way he deals with we have to see all these attributes that we've been talking about this whole time. We have to see them working together. Or we will once again arrive at an unhealthy place spiritually. A diamond has many angles in which we view its brilliance. And the angle from over here doesn't diminish the angle from here. If anything, it heightens it. All these attributes, all these things, God is in the fullest, more than we could ever understand. Nathaniel and I were talking about this the other day, and for you gamers out there, back in the World Cup reference, it just, just happened. Uh, back in the day, there was a game called FIFA World Cup on 64, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was a long time ago. It also happens in Mario Kart. Mario, Mario Kart fans out there? When you, see, when, you, when you have a character you're going to play with, it gives you a description of different qualities, right? You guys ever been there? Anybody track of Okay, Tina Turner people, you can kind of go over here. 
other people, you kind of hang out with me for a minute, right? So when you're picking your character for that game, it's like, oh, speed, they're a little faster. But they're not, they can't, they can't, they don't have a lot of endurance. Well, you're fast, but you got no endurance, you know? So they have all these different attributes, so you choose the best one. Well, if God were one of them, they would all be off the charts, you know? They're all huge, they're all big, and not one is diminished because the other one is bigger, right? And within the soccer, if they're really fast, they, that's cool, but they may not be able to play very long. See, their speed diminishes their ability to work for long periods of time. That doesn't work with our God. His exercise of discipline doesn't diminish, well, I have to be less loving now. If anything, it heightens the ideal that he's loving. Because God is one thing, it doesn't diminish the other. As we as humans, we sense limitation. We feel that. We all have different personality traits. So we build teams around those personality traits. Well, you're organized. I'm not. All right, great. We can work well together. You know? But see, God doesn't function with those limitations. He's all these things at all times, in all places, every day. He doesn't cease to be one to do something else. That's significant, guys. It's huge. And so since John pins us in a certain way to ground uh, God as a starting point and saying love is part of his nature. So in the way in which he deals with us, it's loving. Whether you agree or not, it's loving. So what does love got to do with it? Want to sing it again? No, it's good. Well, here's a great definition, a good working definition of love that most theologians will agree upon. This is taken from a guy named Dr. Grudem. He's kind of smart. But um, anyway, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. Read that for you again. It's up there. And this is kind of a, a universal understanding of when we're talking about God. When God's the starting point, we're trying to work a definition of love. This is what you end up as. Okay? So here it is. got to hear this. This is huge. God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. That sounds a little bit in contrast to mainstream ideal of love, doesn't it? But there's no other way around it. Love is best defined as giving of oneself for another. This is consistently affirmed throughout the scriptures. And interestingly enough, Webster gives a very similar definition to this, but it's not until you get to the fourth entry. You know, it's like, you've got to scroll down a little bit to get to this one. The first few are just weak and, and, and just really don't do anything. When in essence, this should be the first one, and then all actions of love flow out of this. But yet they don't, they don't, they say, yeah, we acknowledge that that's probably a good definition of love. And we're going to say this morning, this is the definition of love. According to the scriptures, according to how God, how, how his nature of love comes out. It seems to come out consistently as a giving of himself. Which, how does that happen, first of all? For others. Romans 5, 8. Let's just read that. I want you guys to see this. But God shows his love. How? For us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A giving of his self, right? And, and it attaches love to that giving. Well, in this, God has shown his love. How? 
in the face of Jesus. John 3.16, one of our favorite verses, it says the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish have eternal life. So God has so loved the world. How did he so love the world? He gave of himself. That's how he has so loved the world. Galatians 2.20, this is a brilliant verse for many reasons. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Here's a description of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Side note, that's a good verse to commit to memory. I'm just going to throw it out there. We, we, were, we were forced in our, our pastoral care class to memorize this one. And that was a good exercise. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. By the way, guess who he is? He's loved me. And that love has been seen in how he gave himself for me. Have, have you felt that? Have you ever sensed that? Have you been loved to that degree? Well, when you are, when you are, it does something to you. Love in light of this has everything to do with it. And love like this is what you are desiring, whether you know it or not. And love like this is what we need as a church, as a people of God. We don't have to go very far from 1 John 4, 8 to see the same understanding here in John. Of God's love, of true love. So in verse 9 and 10, there are two this is love statements that John makes to try to clarify what love is. And he's a, he's a great preacher. He said, God is love. And then the very next thing out of the gate, this is love. Just in case we're confused, just in case the way I wrote God is love, you didn't catch that, which you should have. I'm going to just give you a little bit more clarity of what I'm talking about here and how we understand and know love. This is love. Love now becomes the subject. Love now becomes the thing that we're going to talk about, that we're going to define. And he can do that properly because now he's established that God is the starting point. God is where we begin. So how do we look at him? How do we see those expressions of love? And there are many but we're just going to look at one because it's beautiful. So he's properly established where love comes from and where we can understand it. So let's look at the first statement. Verse 9 of chapter 4 and verse 9. In this, the love, and I like love of God, just in case you're not, you're not making a connection. I just call God his love. Now I'm going to talk about the love of God. <laughs> it's like this repetitiveness to just help you and I out. I'm still tracking I'm still talking about God. He's still the point. And, and he's always the point. He, 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 he has to be. So in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was, do you guys use that word a lot in everyday language? No, revealed. It's been seen. It, it, and I love that. It's clearly seen. It, it's not hazy. I need, I need to wipe my glasses off. There's a blur on them. No, it, it's, it's clear. 
It's been made manifest. It's been seen. Well, how, John? How? Among us? Wow. In our midst we've seen it? Yes, you have. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That God sent his only son into the world. That God sent his only son. That God sent that God... You see how it grounds in God again. And what did God do? God initiates. God pursues. The holy, great God pursues. Behold our God, church. He pursues. He comes after us. And He sent His one and only Son to run towards us. This is how love has been made known. This is how love has been manifested. This is how love has been revealed among us is that God pursued. That follows my mind. That this God we've been talking about is pursued. He's initiated. He sent His Son. Love has been made visible through the sending of the Son. I find it interesting that he starts with this sending. That he says the first thing out of the gate that love has been known is that God sent his son. He went after us. He's coming for us. He's pursued us. With the result so that we might live through him. What we have here is not a failure to communicate. What we have here is clear communication. An action done for the good of others. An action that we can label is driven out of love because the action is done for the good of others. Now, my friend, that's love. That's love. Living, and and I love the idea, so that what? That we might live. That we might live. That the possibility is there. It is in Him. That we might live through Him. Living in the fullest sense. And and this word has kind kind of a step back. Let's see the whole, let's see the whole kind of living here. In the fullest sense. The fullest, fullest sense. It is, it is because of this loving act of God sending the Son. I mean, Jesus says the same thing in John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it what? What's the word again? Doesn't that sound good? When I talk of something that I really like, abundant is a good word. Abundant. Life in its most fullest sense has become possible because of a loving act of a great God sending His Son so that you and I may have life to its fullest. And there's no other way to have it. And some of our pursuits that we label love will end in despair. But in God, we might have life to the fullest. And this does have a sense of, yes, just physical life, eternal life, but just this moment, what we experience every day to its fullest sense. Only love 
Only love can compel this type of action. As if that's not profound and and just wonderful enough, (laughs) there's another statement of this is love. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And here it is again, and sent his son, and we get a further clarity here, to be the propitiation. That comes up in everyday conversation. That's the word of the day, propitiation. (laughs) What does that mean? We'll get there. For what? For our sins. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. God's love is, is not earned. See, we do not experience the love of God because we're really good. We we don't like go and, and, I'm pretty good, don't you love me? See, that's not love. My mother, a long time ago, in one of the first Bibles I ever received, she put in the front, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. At the time, I was like, why did you write my Bible, Mom? You know, you're like, "Mm, Bible. But the reality, how true that is and how freeing that is. See, this is love. Not that you have loved him and earned something from him, but he's loved us. And how do we know that he's loved us? Because the statement before, and he goes on to say, yes, because God has sent his only son to be what? A propitiation for our sins. And John uses this word twice. And it's not everyday language for us. So we don't really understand it. But simply put, it's kind of an, an instrument that is used for appeasing. Something that's given up to appease something else. A sacrifice to atone. A a sin offering. So here, we're we're getting something more here. All of a sudden, he sent his son. He pursued us. But you know, he did more. He took something that we deserve. See, love does not take away wrath. It doesn't... Take away this need to satisfy our wrongs, but love makes a way. Love provides a substitute himself. You see, love doesn't, doesn't skirt around the issue. John doesn't move around the issues because he names the problem. And because he does name the problem, he elevates love. Because he doesn't want to go around the fact that offenses have been made, sin has been committed, and it deserves punishment. But God is love, therefore, has made a way for us to be saved. And that way is himself. John says, Let's deal with it. Let's not skirt around the fact that sin is there. Offenses have been committed. You have wronged a holy God. And you deserve punishment. But this is love. This is love. That he pursued you. And he gave himself for your good. That he might appease what you could not do. The way is himself. Himself, whom we have been discussing all this week. Himself, he who has floored us with his greatness. Himself, he who knew no sin, 
gave himself for us. Wow. This is love. That not only he sent his son, but he willingly walked into our position. And he took on God's wrath and satisfied it. Isn't this what Jesus says to the disciples? No greater love. No greater love than a man lay down his life. God's love means that he will eternally give of himself for others and for their good. On the cross, both holiness and love meet. He became an instrument by which sin's death was appeased. Who does that? Who does that? And how? Well, John tells us, because God is love. If you sit in this room and you feel unloved, I got good news for you. You've been loved. Not by a sin-infested human, but by a great God who gave himself. How is that possible? You know, we taught resurrection is way cool. It's huge. He overcame death. How they kill the guy? How, how, did, how did this great, holy God give of himself in that way? Well, I think John says, love. It's part of his nature to be loving. Does that mean that sin needs to be dealt with? Yeah. And it will be, my friend. But God has loved us in a way he's provided. He's provided for us. If we but just say yes, if we but just say, okay, this is it, I trust that this loving act of the cross has satisfied God's wrath, and I want to stand under that. I want to live in that. I want that to be my story. God doesn't relinquish his other attributes, but love. But love compels him to make a way. Where do we where do we go from here, right? A couple conclusions and thoughts for you. First John four eleven, after John has just made these profound statements. Beloved. If God so loved us, and at this point there's no doubt what he's talking about. At this point, there's, there's no misunderstanding. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Doesn't it make sense, church? If you have been loved to this capacity, if God's love means giving of himself, then we ought to love, and what do we understand about love? The giving of ourselves for one another. I love it. Isn't that, doesn't that make a lot of sense? 
that with verse 11, he would turn the corner and say, if God has loved us, we ought to love one another. If you're kind of a little shaky on how that love would look, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, that's a good one. It will clearly show you how loving one another looks. We cannot rub up against God's love as a church and not be loving. It is ridiculous. And in John's mind, if we go back to verse 8, anyone who does not love God does not know God. And he goes on through this whole text saying, man, if we're not depicting this type of love, something is wrong. How are we so loved like this? And it doesn't, it doesn't change us. Secondly, if God is love, then all his dealings with you are acts of love, whether you agree or not. We can mope, and we can cry, and we can complain. And I do. I'm probably the worst at it. My poor wife has to hear it a lot. I was just talking to someone earlier about, man, how's this thing going with God? He's like, ah, I'm just kind of waiting. It stinks. <laughs> but God is dealing with us in love as we wait. But this is huge. If God is love, and he is, if it's part of his nature to be loving, then all his dealings with you are acts of love, whether you agree or not. As you go home, and as you contemplate that, may you understand all that God is doing in you and for you is love. Lastly, my daughter is so into dressing up like a princess. We're in that stage which therefore means that glitter is all over my house. Every floor, every wall, my skin. So the other day we were talking about the kind of various titles of each family member that's within this kind of royal family. Yeah, you're a princess, and your little brother's a prince, and mom's a queen, and daddy's the king, right? Yeah. So in talking about that, I wanted to impress upon her how much power a king has, how much authority a king has. Twofold reason. <laughs> One, they just say, you know, daddy's got king, daddy's got the authority, got the power. But, but more importantly, I want her to understand the text of the scripture as we see these descriptions of God as king. I wanted her to begin to kind of think about that. Well, King has ultimate power. And she would always remind me, the princess has power too, right? <laughs> sure enough. She's like, the queen does too. He's like, yeah, sometimes more. But, um, so. but, but then I asked her, I said, what do you think a king should do with his power? She said, save people. I was like, oh, you have no idea what you're saying. But that's beautiful. We can work with that. And I don't tell you that to think she's great, because she's crazy just like the rest of us, right? But how profound that statement is. The king, our God, has used his power slash love to save you. Wow. Our God, the whole summer... I'm doing a big picture, our God, okay? 
the holiness of God that Chuck talked about, the greatness of God that Nathaniel talked about. That God has used his greatness, his power, his holiness, and his love to save you. That's good. The king, our God, has used his power to save you, to save us. And this morning, If you don't know that love, I beg of you, come to know that love. Because every other love parade around, and they are not what he has done for us. Please know that love. And as we close, that doesn't mean that God stops working. So we will make ourselves available, myself, Nathaniel, Hensley, anybody else, leadership. That if you're going, man, that love sounds great. I don't know it. Ask somebody. Ask somebody. And I pray that over these, today you would reflect what hurts you up there. What makes you go, ugh. And you should probably think about that one. And so as we close and as we pray, we will be available afterwards. If you do not know that love, come to know that love. Father God, you, you are glorious. And when we begin to try to talk about you, it just feels so inadequate. Words feel so weak. Um, but your spirit is powerful, and your spirit can illuminate our minds to see this, uh, can, elim- can, can bring us to an awareness that these things are true. And we are a hurting people who need to be loved, and you have loved us. So may we hear that in this room. May we respond to that. May we be a people who love one another like this. May we understand your dealings with us as loving And lastly, you, our King, our God, has used your power and your greatness and your love to save us. And if we don't know that love this morning, I pray we come to know it. In your name we pray. Amen.